everyone. Our World Bank EdTech team is speaking with educators globally to learn how they're innovating. Today, you're listening to a conversation with Profuturo, a digital education program founded by Telefonica Foundation and La Caixa Foundation to narrow the education gap in the world by improving the quality of education for millions of children living in vulnerable environments in Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa, and Asia. Profuturo is present in 40 countries, and today our World Bank EdTech team Robert Hawkins, Global Lead for Technology and Innovation in Education, and Iñaki Sanchez, Analyst with the Global EdTech Team, are speaking with Profuturo. Ana Delgado, Head of Product Marketing, and Álvaro Ros, Senior Expert in Global Partnerships and Institutional Relations, about the challenges countries face when trying to select, design, adopt, and customize a learning management system that meets the particular needs of their education system. Welcome to the World Bank EdTech Podcast, a conversation on the use of technology and innovation in education globally. My name is Bob Hawkins, and I'm the Global Lead for Technology and Innovation at the World Bank. I'm joined by my colleague, Enyaki Sanchez. We're very pleased to have with us Alvaro Ros and Ana Delgado from Profuturo. What we're going to explore today with Ana and Alvaro is the process in which they have defined a learning management system for Profuturo and how they've gone through selecting the most appropriate technology to meet the needs particularly of students in remote and non-connected environments. The conversation we're going to have is going to be incredibly relevant to a number of organizations and ministries of education that are looking at ways in which to expand their remote learning and hybrid learning and digital education offerings, and specifically looking at ways in which to design and implement learning management systems. So we're very excited to have this conversation. It's really a pleasure to have you both, Alvaro and Ana. Welcome, everyone. And let's kick things off. So, Alvaro, tell us a little bit more. What is Profuturo and what's your mission? Hi, Iñaki. Hi, Bob. Thank you for having us today. So, Profuturo is a digital education program that was founded by Telefonica Foundation and La Caixa Foundation to bring quality digital education to teachers and children, specifically in vulnerable contexts and low and middle income countries in Latin America, Africa, Middle East and Southeast Asia, with the goal of not only improving the quality of education, but also bringing and helping develop 21st century skills in both children and teachers. We believe that those skills will be useful not only for their professional development in the case of teachers, but also for their future professional careers and opportunities for employability. Right now, we are present in more than 40 countries. And by the end of 2020, we have benefited more than 16 million children and 660,000 teachers globally. Just to make a quick mention to our founders, Telefonica Foundation. Telefonica is a global leader in telecommunications in Europe and Latin America. The Telefonica Foundation is especially dedicated to fostering the social side of the digital era. And La Caixa is a very important bank and foundation here in Spain with much experience in education. So the merging of those two founders helps us bring digital education in a holistic way to these environments. In Profuturo, we work with several types of educational resources. On the one hand, we have a online massive training courses, MOOC type, 
where the teachers not only get training on how to use digital education technology within their classrooms, but also how they can innovate, how they can introduce computational thinking, or how they can introduce neuroscience in the classrooms. But also they work with different content, particularly we have um, didactic units in four um, different languages, Spanish, English, French, and Portuguese, that is divided in three different levels from six to eight years old, eight to 10 and 10 to 12. We focus on literacy, mathematics, science, and ways of life. We have a holistic approach, not only focusing on all of the different subjects they have to learn at school, but also moving into different skills that they will need for the 21st century jobs they're going to encounter, like computational thinking, communication, collaboration, etc. When the pandemic came, we stopped to think and reflect on the impact that we have had so far and to develop a new strategy moving forward in terms of opening the platform and developing something more close to a global public good in order to facilitate transference and sustainability of our program. We developed a process, an MVP process, to gather information from all of our stakeholders in order to build and co-design a minimum viable product for the future. Since the pandemic, many of the countries that we work with at the World Bank have been looking at different ways to reach children now that schools are closed. And there are a number of hybrid mixed modality models that have been employed in this emergency phase. Maybe just give our listeners a little bit of an idea of how these courses are delivered to students and teachers. Whether you give access just to digital resources, whether there's some blended delivery of your courses. Initially, the project, which I have to mention that we have changed a little bit our strategy since COVID came to our lives, of course. But at the beginning, basically, we were very much interested not only in remote learning and online learning, because, you know, in these lower and middle income countries, internet connectivity is not very common. So we were more focused on offline environments, bringing digital technology into the classroom and into the teaching and learning process in the classroom. So basically, the components of our program is not only the technology, the equipment, or the platform, or the digital educational contents that are inside that, but also we focus very much on the teacher because we want to develop their competences, their digital skills, their teaching and pedagogical skills, adapting technology to the classroom, which is very different from traditional instructional pedagogy, and also coaching them. Our program includes hiring local coaches that we also, of course, train, and they accompany the teachers and give them local support in the school in a weekly basis and train them continuously. And behind all of that, all the data analytics and all our monitoring and evaluation system that gathers information and has almost real-time data in terms of how teachers evolve in their own training and developing of skills in teaching, as well as how learning outcomes and skills in children develop. And all of that also with the interest of developing a community of practice. So sometimes it may be easier to have this community of practice more online than offline. So teachers from even different regions or countries from Latin America can share best practices 
and learn from each other. But in contexts like Africa, this is more like an offline community of practice. So we try to gather teachers from different regions, maybe once a year, so they can share best practices, you know, learn from each other, tell them about new ideas, train them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that would be our program. But then COVID came, so we uploaded those contents that were available in those offline environments to online so that education could continue and mostly for those environments where teachers and children had access to internet connectivity of course and in those contexts where there was no online connectivity then we developed more traditional materials printing contents from our educational portfolio to give them printed to the children as well as using whatsapp with teachers and coaches trying to keep the connection and the communication and coaching going on so basically, that's more or less what we have done during this past year or so that we've been living with COVID. It's been indeed a, a very challenging year. And you were mentioning the Futuro model, and you were mentioning some details of the impact of COVID in that model, in that whole ecosystem of ProFuturo. And in fact, it is very difficult, that transition to online learning at a scale. It's very difficult. It's highly complex. And maybe we can talk later a little bit more about that scalability process. But I wanted to ask you, related to those challenges and the impact of COVID in your model, in the whole ProFuturo digital ecosystem, where you focused not only on class management, but also on the teacher training, where you have different resources, where you had, I think, different platforms. Which were those challenges you faced in that old platform? And why did you start this process of developing a new one? Basically, we have been working with the digital solution because it's core to our program. We are a, a digital education program. And we have been looking into different solutions along the time. But it is true that the, the pandemic crisis with the school closure kind of accelerate and made us change the way we were evaluating also the different digital solutions that were available around the world. For the ProFuturo case, and I think it can be applicable to any other institution, organization, or Ministry of Education that is looking to a digital solution to fulfill these educational requirements. The first thing we will suggest is that they focus on what's going to be their target their main public, what's going to be the objective of the learning purpose for that particular target. In our case, it is true that we were working in both models, both in a classroom management, in offline environments, as Alvaro was saying, and we also had a very massive teacher training that actually scaled a lot during the pandemic crisis. And then they need to understand what's the evolution of the technology they're using, because there are loads of different platforms in the market, but it is true that loads of different options are out there, but the efforts of development and the efforts of adapting to your special needs can be very challenging. So first you need to understand all of the functionalities from a pedagogical point of view, and then trying to introduce what functionalities are the ones you're uh, looking for for your own digital solution. It is also very important to determine if the target of the educational process is going to be primary or secondary school children 
or a university or probably lifelong learning systems. In our case, this is a key factor because we work mainly with K-12 and the usability of the digital solution has to have a high degree of system of system usability scores. So the navigation has to be very intuitive and there has to be no ambiguity in the literals and processes. All of the different processes need to be very easy. So the very small children that are starting to work with technology have a very clear picture on how they have to work. There is also a very important factor and is the scalability one. When you're working with a platform with a huge extension in lots of different countries, you need to ensure that it's multi-language, that it can scale up easily when you have increasing number of users. That was something very important during the pandemic because the school closure was done in 15 days. So we needed to make sure that we could respond in a very short period of time. And finally, there is also one important question. All of the different tech solutions that are around, some of them are based on open source. But in our case, working in low and middle income countries, from a sustainability point of view, we need to work with open source code and with unlicensed products to make sure that we're not introducing any further barrier. All of the challenges were related to scalability, usability, the technical depth that you may face by using technology that is not actually keeping up to speed as fast as other technologies, moving to open source code, and also the fact that probably you need to unify different platforms that you're operating in different contexts. Anna, this is super interesting and super relevant because these are exactly the same issues that our clients in ministries of education face. And as I understand it, Profuturo, you had developed your own proprietary learning management system. And this is a big decision because I think a lot of countries, particularly now, as they're moving more and more content and educational delivery onto platforms, they're struggling with both their legacy system, what is the most appropriate system moving forward to be able to address these issues of scalability, usability, and flexibility. And I wonder if you can share with us how you moved from the system that you had to a new system. What were some of the main challenges or decisions that you had to make and ongoing recurrent costs, the maintenance of your old system and issues around flexibility and sustainability of, of the system that you're moving towards? You're completely right. We've been talking with loads of different organizations that are also using different digital solutions. Most of us face some of the same problems, but it is true that the Profuturo digital solution is actually quite differential in the sense that we're using the platform to do two different functions. One function is very focused on teachers' training, and other function is very focused on classroom management, how to make sure that the teacher actually delivers content and educational experiences to the children during the school time. All of the process we followed had a very thorough methodology. The first thing we did was an analysis of the current situation to understand the state of uh, all of our different users with respect to the solution they were using. What I would recommend to the ministries of education and to the different organizations that are 
actually asking the same questions as we were asking is that they start with some hypothesis. They can then study and then come back to the hypothesis they were working on from, from a starting point. In the case of Profuturo, we wanted to make sure that the hypothesis were the following ones that the proposed platform was easy to use. It had intuitive processes, so the teachers will need less training to use the platform. Also that the proposed platform was scalable and flexible. So uh, it was also uh, possible to include new features later in a simple way. For us, it was very important that it was custom also, that we could custom made it with a look and feel of Profuturo. So we could adapt it to the primary school children that are, are our main beneficiaries. On the other hand, it has to be robust and it has to have no errors because as we work in context with no connectivity, it is important for us that the installation and the actualization process is very easy. Also for us, it is very important that it's integrated with third parties. It has to be sustainable over time. The most important one for us is that the platform has to allow us to design meaningful learning experiences. One of the benefits of bringing digital education to this low income context is that it can have benefits that are having more impact on the children than any other solution. So it is important that it's meaningful and that all of the activities and all of the content and experiences that we deliver are leaving a strong impression on the children. We followed a strict methodology in which we wanted on the first hand to perform an MPS and net promoted score and SUS, a system usability score. Sorry if I'm getting too technical, but it's important for you to understand the difference. And I think it can be pretty insightful also for other organizations. Maybe you can just explain both of those methodologies. Both of those. Very quickly, yeah. just because I think our, our listeners will, yeah. will benefit from the definition of these methodologies. Yes, the MPS is an index to gather the degree of recommendation that anybody has about a certain product, a certain solution. It can be used for many things. But in our case, if we get one teacher that recommends our digital solution, that means that they're extremely happy with it. So the MPS, people vote from zero to 10. If you vote nine or 10, it's a positive result. Seven or eight is even, it doesn't count or get minus. And then from zero to six, it's actually a minus. So this is a very strict recommendation index. So one thing you need to do is to understand what's the state of art among all of your different stakeholders, in our case, they can be children, they can be teachers, they can be the coaches, and they can also be the people that are working here in Profuturo in the headquarters. And at the same time that you ask for the MPS, you also ask, what would you change in the current platform? Because it's a good metric. You can recommend it, but you can also suggest different functionalities and different improvements that can actually help you to gather all of the functional requirements for a new platform. That would be for the MPS. And for the SUS, the system usability score. For some digital solutions or for some learning environments, the SUS might not be important, but for our case, as we're working with primary school children, and remember that some of the children we work with, they've not seen any tablet or computer in their lives. 
So for us, it's crucial that the SUS is very high. And we also ask all of the different stakeholders because the degree of acceptance towards technology might be different. It's not the same a teacher in the Philippines as a teacher in another country. So the system usability score, it also helps you understand how easy the platform is to use and how the different stakeholders are prepared to use it. So um, I will suggest that these are the first two steps you need to perform when you're analyzing the challenges you're facing with the current deployments, or even when you're thinking of developing a, a new one, because these are questions that you can also ask to new stakeholders when trying to gather those functional requirements. Thank you, Anna. I think that this process is really interesting and I would like to go a little bit deeper on, on this very interesting process that you follow on the selection and the evaluation of different platforms, because it's something that, as Bob was saying, many, many countries are trying to do a very similar process. You started planning all this before the pandemic, before COVID. You were planning on doing some user testing and some face-to-face -face evaluation. But of course, as many others, you needed to pivot into remote testing. And in many cases, you use different techniques in the pilots to test these different platforms and the different MVPs that you created. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process of testing the, the different platforms and MVPs? You're completely right, Iñaki. We have planned for face-to-face -face observation. We had planned testing in different countries at different schools. And then all of a sudden, the schools close and we have to kind of like change the methodology. We wouldn't think it was positive on a first stage, but at the end of the day, it became a very useful instrument because what happened was that we changed our living lab into a virtual living lab. So instead of testing in four different countries, we could actually test in more countries. And at the same time, we could use digital tools. At the beginning, we thought of using traditional observation tools. When using digital tools, you gather loads of information that is actually recorded in the system and you can systematize all of the different results and get a different approach. So let me go through all of the different phases we followed during this virtual living lab. The phase zero was the current satisfaction survey among all of the different stakeholders we mentioned before. The phase one was a user usability test in which what we did uh, was to give access to our teachers and coaches without any previous training. We just told them, you have access to the digital solution and now we want you to play with it. Uh, the results were amazing. The engagement was fantastic and all of the teachers and coaches were actually playing with the platform without receiving any previous training or any previous instruction. So this is a very good measure to understand if the system is easy to use when you start to use something without any previous, any previous training. And for that, we use some tools that are available like UX Army, and we also recorded all of the different sessions. So we could see through heat maps where all of the different teachers and coaches were focusing while they were using the digital solution. So we know where all of the different 
users are clicking on the pages and when they scroll down, when they can find uh, very easily some contents, when they can perform easily some tasks. And this is something that is actually very well enabled through technology. It's a, a behavior heat map that you get using remote digital testing that you cannot get if you do observation on site. The third phase that we followed was an instrument for a systematic observation. So what we did once we performed that user usability test was actually to train the teachers and coaches in the use of the digital solution. The fact was that because they have been playing with the solution before, once they got to the training, they already came with prepared questions. That was also very interesting. So that kind of like show us that they had engaged with the digital solution. This is important because if the teacher is comfortable and the coach is comfortable with the digital solution they're working with, they're going to engage themselves and then they're going to engage their students. And what we did was trainings for teachers and coaches. And then we gave them two weeks to actually work with a digital solution. And at the end of those two weeks, where they have been working with a digital solution, they could actually record all of their feelings, all of the functionalities that they will add, all of the improvements, all of the things they liked, etc. This is something also very insightful for us because this virtual living lab was actually made in very different contexts. We had, for example, coaches and teachers participating from Philippines, Kenya, Brazil, Peru, Panama, Mexico. And the degree of connectivity was very different. For example, in the Kenya case, they have a very strict curfew and they will only connect during three, four hours a day. And then they will disconnect during the rest of the time. And all of that, because we were using digital tools, we could actually see those behaviors. It was very interesting for us to differentiate between the different countries that were participating. It was also very insightful because some of the teachers and coaches were also introducing some benefits even before we were actually deploying the solution. And this is important because you mentioned that this was an MVP and it was true. It was a minimum valuable product. It was a pilot in which we introduced all of the minimum features we could to actually bring this for the teachers and coaches to work with it. But at the same time, it gave them enough insight so they could actually foresee the future. The pilot was developed in six countries and 215 users were involved in the process. And it was really amazing how all of them responded, especially Peru and the Philippines. Peru had a fantastic response to the pandemic. They have been working in an online environment, bringing the solution that we have offline to an actual online environment. So they actually gave us loads of insight into working on a hybrid mode. That is the way we want to move forward. It was also very insightful, the case of the Philippines. In the Philippines, we work with teachers and coaches from many different islands. The degree of engagement and actual participation in all of the test results training was actually fantastic. The degree of engagement is actually very insightful. We knew the time of usage. Probably in the Philippines, they had the higher usage 
from all of the countries, given that all of the countries had a huge participation as well. So our recommendation for other organizations, ministries of education, will be to, before starting any huge development, actually do this MVP process and this piloting with a small group of users that involves all of the different type of stakeholders, focusing not only in what it can be the future, but also in what they're using at the moment. So they can actually compare and see what can be the functionalities that they will be lacking. All of the feedback we received was very positive. The different tools we use actually help us to have all of these results digitally, but probably in a not pandemic context, what I will suggest is to use a hybrid mode where you can use all of these digital recordings from the different experiences, but you also get to observe what is happening in the classrooms in a face-to-face -face observation. Anna, this is incredibly useful and relevant to the challenges that ministries of education are facing all over the world as they look at their digital learning systems and making sure that you go through a human-centered design process and really design so that you're able to meet the needs of your users and be able to scale with your users. I want to come back to scalability, but I want to ask Alvaro, we mentioned the importance of openness in the identification of a platform. I wonder if you can share with us what was your concept or definition of openness and why was this important in your move towards a new platform? Yes, well, basically, before the pandemic, it's true that we were not thinking so much about openness or the concept of global public goods. We are a nonprofit, of course, so we do this not for profit. We try to help, we try to put the seed of digital education in many countries to try to foster what we believe is a good way of improving the quality of education and developing the necessary skills in teachers and children for their future. But it's true that with the pandemic, we, we kind of stopped to think and reflect on what we've been achieving. After all, Profuturo is also a sort of iterative innovation solution of sorts, right? We've been improving what we've been doing throughout learning by doing, so to speak. So the pandemic helped us in some way to think about the concept of openness and the concept of global public goods that you know very well, of course, <laughs> at the World Bank, because we believe that we should be contributing to the global good and providing something that is in line with the concept of global public goods, the concepts of development and humanitarian approach, which is do no harm, co-design, you know, openness. And most of all, it was very important for us to think about sustainability. We were thinking also about the long-term sustainability of what we were deploying and implementing in these countries. We thought that we needed to facilitate transference of the program to the local stakeholders that can, after building capacity and training them and coaching them throughout two or three years, so they can from there go ahead, go on and continue implementing it. So we produce long-term sustainable benefits to, to these populations. And the open codes and open platforms help in this sense, facilitate transference. They give more scalability, flexibility, modularity, usability, and it also fosters developer communities and even co-designing like 
Anna mentioned our next stage of the platform, but also making it open so they can also improve it in the future, right? If one ministry of education or one organization continues using the platform and they want to build on it, make it easier for them to do that. So that's why we needed to provide global public goods and open platform. What's interesting about what you've done is you very much mirror what ministries of education and the decisions that they're making in terms of developing a learning management system for remote and hybrid learning. Procurement, on looking at the costs of open platforms, looking at the maintenance, issues of sustainability and scalability. How is your thinking in terms of what you need to do to maintain the platform? How maybe you work in networks of developers? How you think about ongoing costs and sustainability of the platform? How has this changed your mental model in terms of the maintenance and scalability of the platform that you're moving towards? This is a very important factor, Bob, because it's not only about fulfilling the initial requirements, it's also about how you maintain and have really good user experience also from the maintenance and the service point of view. So right now in the Profuturo context, we have around 8,000 servers deployed worldwide. So the effort of installing and maintaining those servers is very high. So here we have two different contexts. In the online world, all of the installation and upgrading is much simpler in the way that we work with a scalable uh, infrastructure, always based on cloud environments. And here you need to have questions regarding where you deployed your nodes and if you want to have separate nodes for service and administration purposes. Those are key questions for the online. And as for the offline, it's key what you're suggesting. It's really important that we rely on open source software that is supported by the community of developers that is working on improving and adding the functionalities that the edtech world is actually bringing together and at a huge speed. All of these functionalities like collaboration, gaming, video, evaluation, etc., need to be also deployed in those contexts without internet. So it is important that we ensure that all of the software can be deployed independently on the operating systems and also independent on the different devices because we're not working uh, now only on laptops uh, we need to use laptops tablets mobile devices etc <laughs> we need to use all of the devices that are around so these countries where there's no so much hardware deployed they can also have the opportunity to access these educational resources Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Alvaro. I think that this was a fantastic conversation and, in fact, super aligned with the principles that we mentioned in our EdTech strategy approach paper that's based on the Ask Why, on the acting at a scale and for all, empowering teachers, engaging the ecosystem. That's what we are doing right now with this podcast with you as well. And, of course, being data-driven and making decisions based on useful information that we have. Excellent. And just finally, any calls to action, any requests from the listeners, any areas that you'd like to kind of motivate uh, some of our listeners to take action? Life after COVID is very different. We are experiencing a lot of demand in terms of digital education around the world. I would say that take your time, ministers of education, stakeholders around the world, take your time to implement good program. 
to diagnose, analyze very well what you want to achieve. Of course, be careful in terms of the steps that you take. I think that digital education has come to stay and we are uh, World Bank, Profuturo and many other players in this field are at your disposal. The main recommendation from my side will be for the organizations and the ministries of education that are looking for a digital solution, choose the digital solution that best suits your context. Remember that one solution that might be good for one might not be good for other one. Test the end-to-end process in a real environment so you can see how easy it is not only to develop, but also to install, maintain, and actually get to deploy. And the third one is get a real user experience from all of your different stakeholders. So all of the functionalities are gathered and all of the improvements are taken into account. If anyone is interested in having more information about what we do and what our program looks like, they can go to our website, profuturo.education where they will find a lot of information and many ways to contact us through email, telephone, or any other means. I would like to recommend all of the different webinars that were part of uh, Enlighted.Education last November. Most of the webinars are really interesting and they can give us an insight on how digital education is transforming all of the different contexts we're working in. The website is www.enlighted.education. Well, thank you both for your time. This has been a fantastic discussion that is going to be hugely beneficial to our partners and ministries of education that digs into the very practical how-to of thinking about and deploying a learning management system at scale designed for the end users to improve online and remote learning. So thank you very much and very much looking forward to our continued partnership.